If you would turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 139, Psalm 139. Sometimes it's hard to know an individual. Uh, There's a certain expression called a poker face. Uh, You're not supposed to let individuals know what you have in your hand. Some of us do not have that ability. I do not have that ability. My face betrays me. Uh, you can pretty much tell what my thoughts are. Uh, sometimes that's detrimental in life. Uh, teaching class, many times that's detrimental in life because um, somebody once lied and said there was no stupid questions. Um, they're stupid questions. Um, as a teacher, you're not supposed to allow them to know it's a stupid question because you want them to keep asking questions. Because if they don't ask questions, it's hard to teach them. But there are certainly stupid questions. I remember I was teaching an intro to philosophy class, and I was lecturing on philosophy of science. Philosophy of science. Not a whole lot to do with ethics. And this girl raised her hand, and she always raised her hand, and I was prepared for a question that was probably not on topic that much. But she raised her hand and said, Dr. Williams, if I dress up like a deer and go stand in the woods, and somebody comes along and shoots me, is that suicide? I... I Now, I would like to say, students, there are no stupid questions. I want you to continue to engage me in the conversation so I can teach you things that you do not know. But when somebody asks me something like that, my face just says, that's a dumb question. And there's nothing I can do to hide it. You have somewhat of a window into my soul just from my facial expression that I have on my face. Now, some people do much better job at hiding these things. and You do not have such a window into their soul. We can't look at people and determine what their thoughts are, what their feelings are oftentimes. We can't look into them and know what their heart really is. I mean, you see Christ interacting with people, right, in in, in the Gospels. And one of the things that becomes very clear is he knows what their heart is. He interacts with the Pharisees. He knows what they're arguing about. He knows what the contention is. He looks at his disciples. He knows that they're lacking faith. So when he looks into them, he sees into their very soul. He sees into the deepest recesses of their soul. And one of the things that we come to understand about God is we claim that God is omniscient. It's one of the attributes of God. And omniscience means that he is all-knowing. And one of the things that clearly is stated within the scripture, uh, within that attribute of omniscience, is that he knows us. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. As the scriptures will claim in the gospels, He knows how many hairs are upon our head. He knows us intimately. He knows us because He has created us. He has formed us. He has built us. And one of the things that Psalms 139 talks about, the psalmist is stating that God is omniscient. And within the framework of that knowledge, He knows us. And He knows us in such a way that there is not a single element about our life, about our mental state, about our emotional state, about us. That he does not know or that he is confused about. In Psalm 129, we'll begin, or 139, I'm sorry, we will begin our reading in verse 1. Psalm 139, verse 1, the psalmist writes this. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. 
Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light, uh, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you, the evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The, the psalmist writes in 139, and what he's claiming is that God is omniscient. God knows all things, but in particular, he's not talking about he knows all things within reality. He's not talking about he knows all possible knowledge. What the psalmist seems to be emphasizing here more than anything else is God is omniscient in regard to me. In other words, God knows every aspect of my life. God knows everything about me. From the very beginning, he knew me. To the very end, he will know me. He knows how I was formed. He knows how I was made. And maybe even more importantly, in how I was made, he knows why I was made. And every single detail about my life, God knows. He begins by saying, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. So the psalmist says, even before I speak, you know what I am about to say. In other words, you know what is coming forth from my heart. You know what is inside of me. You know what makes me tick. You know every possibility that there is to know about me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You know the things that I do. I want you to look at the tone of the passage of because so often when we speak of God's omniscience in regards to our lives, what you hear is trepidation. You hear fear. Oh, God knows what I am doing. We even use this sometimes. Behave. You know, God always sees you. Even if mom and dad's not around, God's watching you. We, we use this kind of God perceiving us in all ways to try to correct moral behavior. But the psalmist is not expressing this with trepidation. He's not expressing this with fear. He's not expressing this with worry. What you get from the psalmist is this tone of wonder, amazement, and comfort. In other words, instead of being afraid that God sees inside of him, right? Why would we be afraid that God sees inside of us? We don't want anybody to know what our thoughts really are. 
We want to kind of put that mask on in front of reality. We want people to think we are who we want them to think we are, but not really know who we are. We would be scared to death if people had the ability to see inside of our minds. We would be scared to death if people had the ability to see inside of our hearts because oftentimes the things that come forth from our mouth are not the things that cross our brains. They're not the things that flow from our heart. We hide those things. We filter those things, right? We train children to do this. We we look at children and we say, you don't say that. Children are honest, aren't they? Too honest. I mean, they'll look at you in a heartbeat and tell you, you need to lose weight. Not because they're being mean. They just realize, boy, you need to lose weight. They're They're not doing it to be mean. They just think, man, you're a big guy. Children are honest, and what we train them to do is we say, we don't, you don't say that in public. You don't say that to somebody. Come here. You tell you what you say to them. You be nice. You smile at them. And when somebody's rude to you, you still smile at them. We, we teach them how to kind of put on that persona. I'm not saying that's wrong. There's kind of some social elements that we got to deal with, and, and, and there's a reason for all of that. But there's a part of us that would be scared to death if people got to peer into the depths of our soul. We don't like people looking in there. We don't like people seeing the very core of who we are. We like to hide who we really are. And yet, here's the psalmist who is comforted by the fact that God sees not only the things that he wants him to see on the outside, but he sees the things that are deep down on the inside. He sees deep down into the recesses of his soul, and it comforts him because his God knows him So well, why does it comfort him? Because this is the key. He knows who his God is. See, he knows that his God's not looking in there so that he can bring about wrath or judgment. He knows that his God is not perceiving those things so that he can be critical of them and and, and crush him. His God is looking within him and knows him. His God is searching him and God understands him so that he can save them. See, there's a difference when you want to know a person's inner thoughts so that you can be critical of those inner thoughts. There's a difference when you want to look inside somebody's soul so that you can judge them. And when you want to see what's inside their soul so that you can save them. And the psalmist understands that God knowing him and understanding him has more to do with salvation than it does even judgment. Listen to what the psalmist continues to say. He says, You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Clearly that tone that I speak of. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, I settle on the far side of the sea. Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. So what he's saying is that there is not a place on the face of the earth that I can hide. Nowhere. If I want to get away from God, I can't go into these dark recesses and hide. 
if I want to get away from God, I can't travel across the sea and, and all of a sudden think, well, God's not there. God's everywhere. God's with me all the time. There's not a single place that I can hide from God. There's not a single way I can hide from God. There's not a way that I can get away from him. Once again, sometimes that causes fear within somebody's soul. The psalmist is comforted by the fact that God's eyes are always upon him. God is always with him. And no matter how dark life is, he says, you can always see me for I am not hidden by the darkness for darkness is light unto you. It is a wonderful reality that there is not a single place in all of existence that you may go that you can get away from God. He is there. He's before you. He's behind you. He's around you. He understands you. He knows you. He knows your thoughts. He knows the words that you're about to speak. He knows your heart. He knows where you're going. He knows where you're at. He knows where you're going to go. Guys, the psalmist takes great comfort in this. He says, verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. He's praising his God for he has formed him. He's knit him together. In other words, I wasn't formed by accident. It wasn't chance. It wasn't chaotic. It was for a purpose. We were born. We were created. We were made for a purpose. It is not something where we're thrown into existence and then we kind of figure out a purpose for our life. But we were created and we were formed and we were made for a specific purpose. Sometimes it may seem like we get chunked into this reality and then we just kind of got to figure things out as they come. But the scriptures teach us that God formed us for one specific purpose or many specific purposes. There's comfort in this thought that life has meaning. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the author of Ecclesiastes is wondering what it is about this life that gives it meaning. Is it money? Is it wealth? Is it women? Is it... What are these things? And he goes through a laundry list of things. He says there's all a vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And then he gets to the end. And he says the purpose of life is knowing God and following his will. In other words, the purpose of life is to fulfill one's purpose. What is that purpose? Well, God knows that purpose. God has formed you for that purpose. God has structured you for that purpose. And God has brought you to this place for that purpose. And what I've come to understand in reality is many times in our past, there are not only good events, but there are horrible events that God will use to create something in our future that is wonderful. Guys, The the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28, says all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. 
there's an aspect where even that negative, that darkness that is a part of the world, the dreariness that is a part of the world, the ugliness that is a part of the world, God can use those things to structure something wonderful in our life and lead us to the purpose that He has created us for. In other words, He can overcome those circumstances in life so that we can fulfill the reason that He has made us and structured us. We have a purpose. We have a meaning. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It, it, it doesn't matter where you are. You have been formed for a purpose. You have meaning in your life. Your objective has to be reaching that meaning, reaching that purpose. How do you do it? You can only do it through the power of God. He's formed you for it. He has structured you for it. He has made you for it. And he will carry you to uh, completion with that purpose, but you've got to seek that purpose and you've got to live that purpose out. The psalmist says, I was made for something. I was formed for something. And that gives me comfort. He says, God, I wish you would take care of my adversaries because I really, really hate them. Guys, if you can't relate to the psalmist in any other passage of this uh, chapter, it's probably that one that you can relate to. God, I wish you'd take out my enemies because I hate them. And I know, going back to what we tell you, you never use that word. Um, I really loathe them, despise them. But the psalmist says, I hate my enemies. Why does he hate his enemies? He states within the passage, God, I want you to rectify this wrong. I want you to take care of my enemies because they hate you. In other words, the enemies of the psalmist are the ones who have turned against God. Most of the time when we dislike people, most of the time when we hate our enemies, it's because they've done something against us or they've harmed us in some way. But the psalmist says, these are my enemies because they stand opposed to you. Think of David when he goes out to fight Goliath. He doesn't go out there and fight Goliath because Goliath did something to him. He goes out there and takes down the giant because the giant was making fun of the people of God and God himself. Guys, the enemies of the psalmist is not people who are attacking him. They're people who are attacking his God. But I want you to look at this last little passage in 139. Because up until this point, all the way through verse 22, the psalmist has been talking about God knowing him, God structuring him, God building him, God forming him, knitting him together. God knows his thoughts, what he's about to say, what he's about to do. There's not a single place on earth that he can go from him. God knows everything about him. He is omniscient as it is directed toward him. And listen to verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want you to give some thought to this. In the first 22 verses of this passage, the psalmist has talked about what? How much God knows him. There's not a single thing that God does not know about him. In the very depths of his soul, God knows him. He knows aspects about his life that nobody else knows. Maybe that he doesn't even know. God may very well know me better than I know myself. He knows why I was created. He knows the purpose that I am to fulfill. He knows every aspect of my life. And in verse 23, the psalmist says, God, will you search me? Will you look inside of me? Will, will, will you search me, O oh God, and know my heart? Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. 
Guys, why is he asking God to search him and find offensive ways in him if he's already claimed in 22 verses that God knows everything about him? God already knows the offensive ways that are in him. God already knows his anxious thoughts. Matter of fact, if you take the first part of the chapter seriously, God knows his anxious thoughts before he even becomes anxious about them. So why do you have the psalmist, after declaring God's knowledge of him, saying he's omniscient in regards to his relationship with me, now saying, God, search me and discover if there's any anxiety in me. Search me and discover if there's any unhealthy things in me and remove it. There's a difference between knowing God knows you and wanting God to know you. There's a big difference in that. See, I'm, I, I'm mentally aware I understand, no doubt in my mind, that God knows me. But that doesn't necessarily mean I want God to know me. Not in my fullness. So many times when we go to God in prayer, so many times when we go to God in study, we still try to hide who we really are from God. We do it with people, but we even do it with God. We don't want God to know who we really are. Because it's hard for us to imagine that God will still love us if He knows who we really are. One of my favorite descriptions of what faith really is comes from an author named Kierkegaard. For Kierkegaard believed that true faith was your understanding of who you are And your ability to be in a relationship with God, even though you understood you didn't deserve to be in that relationship. In other words, what true faith was is understanding that you were unworthy of the relationship that you were going to have with God. And yet still remaining in that relationship because it makes us uncomfortable. That's a hard thing to do is to be in a relationship with somebody who we feel we don't deserve to be in a relationship with them. And what we tend to do our whole life is strive and struggle and struggle to prove ourselves worthy of that relationship. And and the key within the Scriptures is that the Scriptures tell us there's not a single thing we can do to make ourselves worthy of that relationship. We are sinners at the core. And that if it was not for the death of Christ, then we would not have possibility of life. There's not a thing we can do to repay that. And that makes us uncomfortable. Guys, the psalmist actually is opening the door and saying, God, search me. Look within me, and if there's anything in my life that needs to be plucked out, if there's any darkness in my life, allow your light to consume it and eradicate it. Allow it to be taken from my life. One of the reasons we want to hide things from God, one of the reasons that we won't be honest with God, even though we're aware that He knows everything about us, is that we want to hold on to those things. See, when you open up your soul to God and say, God, search me, and if there's anything in there, get rid of it for me, that's not only asking God to know about it, it's asking God to rid it from your life. St. Augustine, wrote his confessions. St. Augustine was an interesting fellow. Became one of the greatest theologians ever to live. But boy, he struggled in his surrender to salvation. And St. Augustine, one of his prayers was, God, give me chastity, but not right now. 
In other words, I know that I need this in my life. I know that this is the way to walk. I know this is your will for my life. But I don't want it right now. I'm kind of enjoying my life. And a lot of us approach God that way. God, I know what you've called me to do. God, I know what you expect of me. I know what you want from me. But do I have to do it right now? The psalmist is opening up his life and saying, God, search me. Discover in me anything that is wrong. And you know the beautiful thing about it is whatever God discovers that is wrong in our life, whatever darkness is within our soul, do you know what he says? First John um, chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. In other words, what First John says is you know that you are a sinner. You know there is sin at your very core. You know there is sin in your heart. You know there is sin in your soul. But the wonderful reality of the scriptures is not only does God search us, but he searches us so that he can save us. And the author of First John says... And if you confess those sins, then you are faithful or he is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In other words, we have to open up our souls to our God. We have to invite him in so that what he already knows becomes known by both of us. And in the confession of sin, it's asking God to remove it from our lives. And he has the power to take it from our souls. As we cling to the darkness that haunts our souls. We cling to the darkness that is internal to us because some of those times we are attached to it. And that is the way that we live life. There are people in this world that wouldn't know how to get through a day without the bitterness that drives them. There's people in this world that would not know how to get through the day if it was not for the hatred that drives them. Guys, we've got to come to a point where we're broken enough to say, God, search me, try me, know me. And when you find things in my life that are unwholesome and unholy, remove them from my life. For I have faith that you have the power to do so. One of my favorite passages of scriptures in the Gospels is when the friends bring the paralytic to Jesus. And they dig the hole through the ceiling and they lower their friend down before Jesus. And as he's lowered down, there's a crowd inside the house. They couldn't even get inside the house because the crowd was so big. And of course, this paralyzed man, they brought him to Jesus so that he could walk again. And when the uh, paralytic is lowered before Jesus, of course, Jesus' first words is not stand up and walk. But as your sins are forgiven. Of course, the religious leaders around and, and, and those who were familiar uh, with Judaism and those things was just dumbfounded. How he could claim that he could forgive sins. It's that passage where Jesus says, which is harder for me to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Get up and walk. Guys, there is no external proof that sins are forgiven. 
you might see it in the transition of one's life. You'll see it from the old passing away and a new life beginning. You'll see it in the way that somebody lives. You'll see it in the way that they journey through life, the contentment and the happiness that they have. But there's no external evidence. When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, there's no external evidence that comes over that guy. I mean, you don't see the marks of sin upon one flesh and then they're being washed clean. That's something, that's a matter of the soul. So in essence, in, one way, in what Jesus is saying there is it takes a, a level of faith to believe that Christ has the power to forgive sin. The question I have this morning is do we have that faith? Are we to the place where we want God to see who we really are? Do we have the faith then to believe that He can deal with who we really are? Do we have the faith that He can wash us white as snow? Do we have the faith that He has the power through His death and resurrection? To allow us to run from the tomb into life. Because where we have lived for so long is death, decay, and destruction. Where He wants us to live is the light of His glory and His marvelous grace. Do we have that faith? Do we have that will? Will we submit? And will we allow Christ to work in our life. I pray that we will. And I pray that this is an ongoing prayer. That God will continue to search me and remove from me all things that hinder me so that I might accomplish that which I was knit together for. So that I might accomplish that which He created me for. The very purpose of my life which defines it through the eyes of my God. Let us pray. God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for being a God who is not scared to look at sinners. For, Lord, you have laid your eyes upon us always. And Lord, you have sought us even through the death of your own Son. God, I pray that we would open up our hearts. We already know that you know us. We're aware that you're aware of who we are. But Lord, there's a difference in us really desiring you to get to know us even better and removing it from our life. I pray, Lord, that we would surrender to you, that we would have faith in you, and Lord, that you would deal with the darkness that exists in our lives so that our soul may be filled with your light, and Lord, that we might truly live up to your call. May the purpose of our life be fulfilled through your power, through your mercy, and through your grace. May your spirit walk with us daily, and may we always follow through faith. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning we'll have a time of invitation. Any decisions that need to be made in a public fashion, feel free to come forward at this time if you'll please stand.